Powell's definition of digital minimalism is a philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on everything else. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the Kamari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified Kamari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. How would your life change if your digital world were clutter-free? In today's episode, we'll explore the philosophy of digital minimalism, the belief that less can be more to our relationship with digital tools. This idea stems from Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. We're trading in the question, does it spark joy, for the question, is this the best way to use technology to support my values? Whether you are well into the KonMari lifestyle or just getting started making decisions of joy, addressing your digital clutter is an important piece of the puzzle. This book provides us with a constructive way to engage and leverage digital innovations to our advantage and say with confidence, because of technology, I'm a better human being than I was before. We'll tell you what we thought about the book, our pros and cons, and walk through practical tips like how to implement your own digital declutter and cultivate a sustainable digital minimalism lifestyle. We'll also share examples of how we've already implemented digital detoxing into our lives and the impact it's had on our businesses and overall well-being. Before we jump into our review, it's time for a joy check. Karen, what's sparking the most joy for you these days? Well, so with the changing seasons and it's finally starting to get nice and cool and like fall here in New York City, I have been trying very hard to not rely on central air conditioning or central heating. At this point, we haven't needed the heat yet, but our building is an older building. So it has a heating and cooling system that gets shut off in the fall and spring. So the air conditioning gets shut off at a certain point in the fall and the heat goes on. Well, I tend to really like a cool room. And I discovered that the air conditioning was getting shut off much sooner in the year than I would have preferred. So I decided I wanted to get like a fan, a really good fan. So, and one that would look good in the living room. I did a lot of research and I found this great Bernardo fan that is kind of a take back to a mid-century modern style. And I love it. It's really beautiful. And what I do now is in the morning, I open up all of the windows and turn the fan on. So I'm getting this really great cross breeze and it feels so good. And I hadn't really been opening up the windows in the past, as Marie Kondo suggests when she talks about what she does in the morning, but I found it to be really awesome. So open windows and a created breeze in my own home is what's sparking joy for me these days. What about you, Kristen? Well, I'm super jealous because I realized that Chicago doesn't really have a fall. (laughs) So just today it was 26 degrees. So there's definitely... Wow. 
no opening of the windows or <laughs> gentle breeze happening over here. I have already taken out my winter coat for both me and my dog. And we are trudging through the snow. So yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, that does not spark so much joy. But it is winter and I've recognized this about myself that I am most creative in the months of November and December and kind of October as well. This is like prime time for me to do things. So I was finishing up with my book last year around this time and I was putting the final touches on the new version of my website as well around the same time. This is just where I get most creative. I'm able to kind of hibernate, I guess. So it speaks to my nature since I'm kind of an indoorsy person. <laughs> so I've just linked up with an artist and we are working on something amazing that will be released in February. And I've just, once again, just had an idea <laughs> and have now the capabilities of making it happen is an idea that I had probably a year ago and I just had to table it because there was all these other projects. So now I have the space to really create that and I'll be previewing it on my Instagram, hopefully in January. So that should be a fun start to the new year. But yeah, it's another For the Love of Tidy production in the works. I'm really excited about it and it's getting me in my creative zone, which is always joyful for me. Oh, that sounds so great. I know we'll all be very excited to learn more about your new product. Yes, I will definitely announce it here on SparkJoy. Okay, great, great. Now that we've checked in on our joy, it's time to dive into Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. We should note, this is the second book review we've authored here on SparkJoy. Our first book review was The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning by Margarita Magnussen. If you recall, that was in Spark Joy episode number 21. We should also mention this book literally has minimalism in the title. We support minimalist philosophies, even if we don't personally identify as minimalists. Here on Spark Joy, we are all about viewing things through a lens of joy. So if the term minimalism doesn't resonate for you, or you feel that the lifestyle is too extreme, check out Spark Joy episode 34. Incremental Minimalism with Stephanie Safrian. Cal Newport argues that what is actually extreme is how much time everyone else spends staring at their screens. Minimalists believe that the key to thriving in a high-tech world is to spend much less time using technology. Cal states, minimalists don't mind missing out on small things. What worries them much more is diminishing the large things that they already know for sure make a good life good. To give you a little more insight about the author, Cal Newport, this was actually not my first time reading one of Cal's books. He wrote a book called Deep Work in 2016, which is a great read as well. Deep Work is all about the value of intense focus and how the tools we use to communicate in the professional world are distracting and preventing us from doing our best work. It's a great read for entrepreneurs, academics, or anyone with a job and an email inbox, really. The book is all about managing expectations when it comes to our availability and responsiveness concentrated around an intentional workflow. The book we'll discuss today, Digital Minimalism, 
stems from the feedback from readers of Deep Work who were feeling distressed by the way new technologies seem to be draining the meaning and satisfaction from their time spent outside of work. The first line in digital minimalism is, we didn't sign up for this, which is so true, I guess. Cal reminds us that there was a time when Facebook was called the Facebook.com, and it was really a novelty, like back in 2004. If you remember a few years ago, there was a movie called The Social Network, and it was all about the beginnings of Facebook. Some of it a little interesting, to say the least, about how Facebook got its start. Now, the average user spends 50 minutes a day on Facebook or Facebook products alone. Keep in mind that Instagram and several other different apps are also owned by the Facebook people. I was a very early adopter when Facebook first became available to the public, you know, people who weren't currently in at a university. At that time, I was running a political campaign, so it was like super important. I was also on Twitter super early mostly to follow politics as well. And and really outside of work and family, that's the main focus of my online activities even today. Yeah, I graduated from the University of Virginia undergrad in 2003. And I remember having to use my alumni email address to sign up for Facebook. Mm. And it was such a big deal. <laughs> and I had to do the same with my Gmail account as well. I remember when you had to be invited by a friend to set up your Gmail account. A little over a decade later, we seem to have stumbled upon this world where technology and social media is just so commonplace and deeply embedded in our culture. Cal praises technology for the undeniable positive impact it's had on our lives and the sense of community it's created. Without technology, we wouldn't be able to talk to you here today or to grow tidying accountability with our community, the Spark Joy Club. Here's some more. The question, does it spark joy, is a simple one, but not so easy to execute alone. Extend your tidying experience by joining the Spark Joy Club, our online community filled with our clients, fellow listeners, and Kamari enthusiasts ready to support your journey. If you find yourself buried under clothing, stuck on storage, or pointing fingers at untidy housemates or family members, we want to help you finish your tidying journey once and for all. Support the show at the Joy Riser level and receive access to our exclusive virtual community, as well as the Tidy Home Joy Journal, your number one tidying companion. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click on Join the Club to get started. And now back to the show. Cal recognizes we have to take both the bad with the good. He states we cannot passively allow the wild tangle of tools, entertainments, and distractions provided by the internet age to dictate how we spend our time or how we feel. I think that last part is super important. Keeping that in mind, let's dive into some of the pros of this book, or in other words, what sparked joy for us? First, we really liked the way the book was organized. It begins with part one, which is the foundation that describes the philosophy, and it closely examines the forces that are making people's digital lives more and more complicated. Now, Cal's definition of digital minimalism is a philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time 
on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on everything else. Tal is an academic at heart, so there were some great research-based statistics he explores in this section of the book. He also guides you through implementing your own digital declutter. Part two takes a closer look at cultivating a sustainable digital minimalism lifestyle, which I can really appreciate. When it comes to methods such as this one, it's important for us to not feel like this is an exercise in deprivation or some kind of like crash course in doing something differently than how we've been doing it before in a drastic way. And then, you know, finish it up and go back to life as usual. So he talks more about the importance of solitude alongside the necessity of cultivating high quality fun time to fill the time you used to spend on mindlessly using your devices. Each chapter of part two concludes with a collection of practices, some of which we'll walk through later on in the show. And the second thing that we enjoyed about the book takes us behind the scenes. So Cal was able to talk to engineers and software developers involved with common platforms that we use every day. And he introduced us to this idea of the slot machine concept. Cal explores the fact that checking our likes on social media is designed intentionally to be like a slot machine. Playing the slot machine, you're always hitting the button and then, what did I get? What did I get? The designers want to get us to use apps in a particular way and for a long period of time. They call it the stickiness of the app. Or as Facebook engineer puts it, bright dings of pseudo-pleasure. For example, Cal notes that the original notification symbol for Facebook was blue, but no one clicked on it because it blended in and it matched the background too much. So they changed the color to red, an alarm color, and the clicking skyrocketed. This is one of many stories we enjoyed that Cal shares from his research. When Cal heard so many of his deep work readers were feeling exhausted by their digital clutter, he decided to conduct a survey in 2018. 1,600 people agreed to perform a digital declutter under his guidance and report back on their experiences. One of those people was Jennifer, who was featured in part two of Digital Minimalism. Jennifer was a social media professional, and Jennifer decided to kind of evaluate her habits And she decided to start to use Instagram to follow accounts from a small number of communities related to interests. And she narrowed her focus. She also started to use Facebook significantly less than the average user by maintaining a simple rule. She decided that that particular service was only going to be for close friends and relatives and for occasionally connecting with influencers. Jennifer logs on to Facebook maybe once every four days or so and just just to see what's going on with her close friends and relatives and also invests significant effort in selecting who to follow, focusing on high quality thinkers or similar influencers in their topic area, in their academic account. For example, Jennifer follows a curated list of journalists, technologists, academics and policymakers. And she also uses tools like TweetDeck or Hootsuite to manage her Twitter and to make sure that she is creating 
various trend news on certain ideas and really narrowing the field. We also like the principles of digital minimalism. Some of these may sound very familiar because they align very well with KonMari. Principle one, clutter is costly. We definitely agree with that one. We even dedicated one full episode of Spark Joy to talk about the true cost of clutter, and that's episode 37. The second principle of digital minimalism is optimization is important. Digital minimalists believe that deciding a particular technology supports something they value is only the first step. To truly extract its full potential benefit, it's necessary to think carefully about how they'll use the technology. Principle three, intentionality is satisfying. Digital minimalists derive significant satisfaction from their general commitment to being more intentional about how they engage with new technologies. This source of satisfaction is independent of the specific decisions they make and is one of the biggest reasons that minimalism tends to be immensely meaningful to its practitioners. He really hits on this point that if you don't find something else to fill this time that you have created for yourself with something meaningful, then you're likely to just either feel bored and miss social media, or you'll just end up resorting back to becoming much more active on social media. My favorite quote from part one is, treat the minutes of our life as a concrete and valuable substance, arguably the most valuable substance we possess, and to always reckon with how much of this life we trade for the various activities we allow to claim our time. The cumulative cost of the non-crucial things we clutter our lives with can far outweigh the small benefit each individual piece of clutter promises. We also love Cal's views on transformation. He states, in my experience, gradually changing your habits one at a time doesn't work well. The engineered attraction of the attention economy combined with the friction of convenience will diminish your inertia until you backslide towards where you started. He considers that when you execute a lifestyle change in a short period of time and with enough conviction, your results are likely to stick. If this sounds familiar, it's because it's very similar to Marie Kondo's philosophy of tidying quickly once and for all. That's everything that sparked joy for us when it comes to Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism. Now we'll briefly cover what didn't spark as much joy for us. There were only a few things. First... The book was written in kind of a thesis-style format. I confess, when I opened the book, I was very tempted to jump right into the good stuff. I've been tidy at home for three years now, so I've moved on to taking a look at clutter in other areas of my life, like my media and information consumption, which was on the list right below finances and health. So I didn't need a lot of context research or backstories or data around the impact technology has on our lives. I didn't need convincing, so to speak, that this was the direction I needed to go. I just wanted to jump right in and get straight to the good stuff, the practical tips. If you're not used to the technical writing style or academic writing structures, the first chapters of this book may lose you a bit, but hang in there. Cal sprinkles examples and real stories throughout and provides you with a plan starting on page 60. 
In fact, for me, I was a little annoyed by the number of anecdotes. I think there's a danger to this idea of maybe cherry-picking quotes to support an argument. So I was really glad to have him focus on an actual plan for people who actually want to limit their time online. The large attention to solitude also was a little distracting in part two. Again, I didn't feel I needed convincing that solitude is valuable. I do my best thinking when I'm alone and while I'm walking my dog and tidying my space or even showering, I just installed a little notepad in my bathroom on my mirror because I have so many ideas and thoughts when I'm showering and I would never be near my phone or a piece of paper in order to write them down. So I didn't need to read a lot about the importance or the value of being alone with my thoughts. Now that we've covered the pros and cons, it's time to dive in to the three steps that define the implementation side of digital minimalism. The digital minimalism plan. Number one, set aside a 30-day period during which you will take a break from optional technologies in your life. During this 30-day period break, explore and rediscover activities and behaviors that you find satisfying and meaningful. And at the end of the break, reintroduce optional technologies into your life, starting from a blank slate. For each technology you reintroduce, determine what value it serves in your life and how specifically you will use it as to maximize that particular value. A side note, that last step actually reminds me of a capsule wardrobe where you're removing everything and then you're adding back what is of maximum value. So we discussed this concept with the queen of the capsule, Courtney Carver, in Spark Joy, episode 39, Closet Joy, part two. Now we'll move on to the practical tips that Cal recommends leaning on as you work through the three steps of your digital minimalism plan. Leave your phone at home. This is a good one, but very tough to execute. I think I've at least gotten to the point where I leave my phone in my home when I walk my dog. That's about all I can do so far. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. It's something. (laughs) Also, he recommends take long walks by yourself and without your phone. Write letters to yourself. And again, this is, you know, we talk so much about journaling. This is a little bit more specific as far as like the letters that you would be writing. So you definitely want to take a look at this in the book if this is something that sounds interesting to you. And then consolidating texting, which essentially means that you just will be slightly less available all the time to everyone. Hold conversation office hours. I love this one and already implement it in my schedule. I find it very tedious and cumbersome to have the conversation that answers a question, when should we meet? So I make sure to make my availability readily clear on my calendar. And I send that around to everyone, potential clients, business partners, even sometimes friends who just want to chat. It's very clear when I'll be available, mainly on Mondays and Fridays. Also, Cal recommends to delete social media from your phone. So this is a good one, I think. And we'll talk a little bit more about how I've implemented this in my life. But if you are actually forced to go into the browser to retrieve 
social media information, then it really makes you stop a little bit. Sometimes it's so easy just to hit the icon on your phone and it just becomes such a mindless activity. So I think that that one can be good as a way to just limit the amount of time that you're clicking back and forth without thinking about it. Yeah, I like to move the app around on my phone so it's less like right under my thumb kind of thing if I don't delete it. And the only issue with deleting certain social media apps where I've tried it and I've had to load them up again when using like Facebook Live or sometimes Instagram stories, you just have to be doing things from your phone. It just makes your life easier. So unfortunately, it doesn't work in all cases when you have the fact that you're doing social media for not only your personal, but also your business life. One of the most controversial suggestions is that he takes a very hard stance on the like button or leaving comments like, oh, that's so cute or so cool or love that under somebody's post. Cal recommends that you shouldn't click like because these interactions teach your mind that the connection is a reasonable alternative to conversation. If you eliminate these trivial interactions called turkey, you send your mind a clear message. Conversation is what counts. Don't be distracted from this reality by the shiny stuff on your screen. I think this is a great tip if you are a really social person and you have found that social media is keeping you from being engaged in those relationships. I'm just always going to click on my mom's morning post. You know, I'm going to tell her that I love her and that I like it. And, you know, with our friends and family who have little kids, I'm definitely going to be liking their posts. And yeah, it's not the same as a conversation, but mostly it's with people that I wouldn't be having a, a daily interaction with anyway. So it's just kind of a nice way to stay in touch. My parents are actually really inactive on social media. My younger brother is inactive as well. So I haven't had that opportunity to click on their post. But I definitely agree. It's for situations where you feel like you kind of lost control when it comes to your social media usage. That could be a good place to start. Just maybe pull back, be a little less available on the platform. Cal also shares some more practical tips, like turning your device into a single purpose computer. For example, if you don't need social media for your work, Block those sites and apps on your computer completely, with the exception of a few hours in the evening. Also, Cal recommends to use social media like a professional. So that example with Jennifer, hashtag be Jennifer. I'm all about Jennifer's strategy for really maintaining a healthy relationship with social media and compartmentalizing the personal contact and the business contact making sure that you're streamlining things. Embrace slow media. And that means basically that you're actually reading a hard copy of newspapers or books or whatever it is that you're consuming. You know, try this with maybe just the newspaper, the morning newspaper at breakfast, or just check in casually once a week with curated collections of media that you are most interested in. Dumb down your smartphone. Cal suggests everything from removing apps to turning off push notifications to even trading your phone for a flip phone or even a traditional watch. And he argues that our smartphone is the Trojan horse of the digital attention economy. 
And so declaring freedom from it is the most serious step you can take toward digital minimalism. Now that we've covered the three steps to digital minimalism and some practical tips, let's talk about how you should fill the void. Cal states if you begin decluttering the low-value digital distractions from your life before you convincingly filled in the void they were helping you ignore, the experience will be unnecessarily unpleasant at best and will turn into a massive failure at worst. This not only shows up in the world of digital minimalism, but I think it really shows up in any major change that you're making in your life. I've realized this and seen it happen real time with my clients. I usually wait until we've really processed everything in their home before adding or suggesting or inviting them to certain experiences, like introducing them to a new cleaning professional or inviting them out to attend a workshop that aligns with a particular interest that they may have. I used to wait till the very end to start to do this because I felt like, oh, I shouldn't put too much on their plate. But I realized now as I started to introduce these experiences to them almost real time that it was a healthy way of filling the void that may be happening as they were letting go of their things, really reinforcing also in some cases some things that they're working through in their tidying decision-making and really just leaning in, embracing these experiences before their tidying event is even complete. So I really agree with Cal that it's so important to make sure we're cultivating some other experiences so that we don't feel like this is an exercise in deprivation. Cal also devotes a few pages of his book to Mr. Money Mustache and the FI or Financial Independence Community another radical lifestyle change. I'm a big fan of Phi, so I love it when all of my worlds collide. For more on Phi, head over to Spark Joy, episode 58. Cal made the connection between digital minimalism and achieving Phi. Once you've hit your Phi number, you suddenly have more leisure hours to fill than the average person. So there is a need to fill it with high-quality activities. Some of the activities that Cal suggests using to fill the void include, he gives some really great examples, like the mouse book club idea. This is a club that has created classic books in the size of your phone, basically, so they fit into your pocket. This way, when you're tempted to pull out your phone, you can instead pull out the book that's currently on the agenda and read it. Another suggestion is that you fix or build something every week. I really like this suggestion. Yeah, he's all about engaging your brain in different ways away from screens. He suggests that we should learn and apply one new skill every week over a period of six weeks. We should point out that tidying would fit very nicely into that schedule. Exactly. Yep, learning how to organize instead of spending that extra time on your phone. Also, Cal suggests that we join something. So Cal references Ben Franklin's philosophies, which we discuss with Patty Morrissey in Spark Joy episode 18. We'll close the show today by exploring ways we've already applied digital minimalism and how it's impacted our businesses and our lives. Karen, how have you digitally detoxed? Well, I think 
previously, I mentioned that I was a big Twitter fan and mostly I, I follow the news and politics on it, other things as well, but that's mostly it. And over the years, I had somehow ended up with about a thousand people that I was following. So a couple of months ago, I went through the list and I just brutally got rid of anyone that I wasn't absolutely interested in following. There were people that I had just added on for different reasons. Certainly in the beginning when everything was so new, you just pretty much just followed everybody. And now I have it down to like 150 people, which is much more manageable. And I'm actually seeing the things that I want to see on my timeline. And having a really curated list of people means that the time that I'm spending is not repetitive. I'm not just reading the same thing over and over with someone else's different take. If you follow Twitter, you know, that's a real danger. Everyone has an opinion about every little news article that comes out. So sometimes you spend a lot of time just reading what everyone has to say about something. Along those same lines, I try really hard to not read the comments. And I apply this to almost all of my online activities. You can get so bogged down in reading what everyone else had to say about somebody's post. So I'm very careful to limit the amount of time that I do that. Yeah, I really rarely use Facebook any longer because I find it annoying for so many different reasons. But I do have family members who are only on Facebook. And also, I do have some groups on Facebook that I need to stay in touch with. Of course, our group as well, the Spark Joy Club is there. So that is one of the main reasons that I'm on Facebook. But I just avoid it whenever possible. And also, I'm very quick to take the apps off my phone when I have a time-defined goal. So, for example, if I say I, I want to get this written or this project done or whatever it might be in the next 24 hours and it's a pretty strict deadline, then that's the time when I would pick the apps off my phone entirely. I also find that I can mute people who are popping up on my timeline too often. The thing that's great about muting somebody is that they don't see that you have muted them. So in other words, if you have people on your timeline that are your friends from grade school and you're really just not that interested in hearing what they have to say, then you can actually mute them and they won't know that you've done that. So if you're concerned about insulting people that are on your timeline, that's a great way to deal with that. I also block all advertising whenever possible. On almost all social media, and this is for sure true on Twitter, it allows you to block advertising. So if you go into the settings of that post, a lot of times it'll say you can block all ads from you know whoever, whoever you keep seeing popping up in your timeline. So over time, that has resulted in far fewer advertising posts that I'm having to deal with every day that are cluttering up my timeline. For email, I practice inbox zero, which means that anything that is in my inbox has to be action item. In other words, if it's something that I don't need to see, or if it's something that is waiting for something else to happen, or if it's something that I just need to keep for information, I get it out of my inbox. Careful listeners will note that that's very similar to the three types of paper that we suggest you keep as part of your KonMari tidying. I'm really very quick to unsubscribe to newsletters. You know, every time you give your email address to a company online, you're on their list. And sometimes you want to be on the list, and that's fine. But I always find that I'm getting way more advertising from a company that I 
might have been interested in six months ago. So I just unsubscribe without mercy. Well, Kristen, how do you manage your own digital clutter? Well, for me, digital clutter shows up the most in my email inbox and in my social media experience. With my email, and I'm really mainly talking about my business email because my personal email is not an issue. But my business email inbox, I kind of took a cue from both Cal and Marie. And I made sure to align my folders with how I spend my time. So instead of having the folders be exactly like Marie Kondo's clutter categories, I ended up making them represent various layers of my business time. So I have an admin folder, a clients folder, an education folder, a live events folder, and also a marketing folder, partners folder, products folder, and website folder. So that is all the ways that I spend my time with clients as well as outside building all kinds of things for For the Love of Tidy. This just made sense for me and I've been using it now for almost three years this way and it has worked really well. There's definitely some subfolders underneath the main folders that I mentioned just a minute ago, but none that are too like micro organizing <laughs> that I can't find what I'm looking for. So uh, that really works well for me for email organization, organizing my folders around how I spend my time. And also when it comes to social media, I decided to do a bit of piling. So of course, when you're talking about digital clutter, you can't really pile anything, uh, but you can write down or think about where you're showing up in terms of digital clutter on drives and computers and phones or actual social media platforms as well. So I sat down and took a look at all the platforms that I want to care about or I want to interact on. So for me, that was Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and YouTube. I decided to make a plan about how I wanted to show up either passively or actively in all of these different platforms. So that was the high-level decision I had to make. And then I went through and similar to, as you mentioned, Karen, really started to curate my feed, which I never thought would even be possible. I used to see things on my feed and get so frustrated, like, why is this coming up first? Or why do I always see this person things first? And I thought I just had no control over that. But when I started to practice going through and really making sure I'm only following what I need, it was an amazing shift that really helped me change the narrative around social media. And when I originally, as I mentioned, started playing around on Facebook, like we all did back in 2004, I realized that I didn't have the same feeling I did back then around social media. So when I started using social media for my business, I started to not have like a joyful relationship with it because I was just on it, it seemed like double time. So I decided that I was going to change that story since my clients find me online. I know that that's where I have to be no matter what. I needed to change my relationship with the media. So I started to, like you said, you know, only follow things that I really wanted to intentionally see. And the biggest lesson for me was that I didn't need to see everyone everywhere. 
So I'm very careful now. Like I want to interact on my personal page with my friends and I want to interact on my Instagram, maybe for business reasons and then my Facebook for business reasons, but only through my page. And I have like very clear boundaries now. And just from making some small changes across all these platforms and really cleaning them all up, it was amazing what then I attracted. There were certain events that would come up that I like, wow, how did they know? That's exactly what I want. I'll go to that. I wasn't liking things that were just arbitrary. Now things in my feed were actually inspiring me. So it's amazing what we can do if we just kind of lean into those strategies that Jessica describes in this digital minimalism book where we're really making sure that we're showing up in a way that sparks joy for us when it comes to all of these places where we are online. It really seems to boil down to this idea that, you know, when we talk a lot about this, when we talk about the concept of spark joy, is that you're looking at your digital life in the same way that you do your physical life and determining what's taking time and energy away from the things that you want to be spending time and energy on. And then look to see if there's a way that you can get rid of those things, whether it's a setting change or doing something different with the way that you respond to social media or whatever. There's definitely ways to make it work for you. And good luck if you've decided that you want to try some of these digital minimalism strategies, you know, the ones that we shared today and the ones that are in the book. And if you do decide to do the 30-day challenge, please take a moment to share your adventures with us via your social media community of choice or in the Spark Joy Club, if, of course, you are a member. We want to know what worked for you. We love to hear your stories, and it's such an inspiration for all of us in the community. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and review the show, which helps us reach others along their tidying journeys. To extend your tidying experience, you can join the Spark Joy Club. If our podcast adds value to your life as you digitally declutter, visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click join the club to become a member of the Spark Joy community or join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Kamari Media Inc. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Kamari Media Inc. or the Kamari Consultant Community.